Business Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be safe. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Democrats slam Uber's attempts to buy Grubhub, and Facebook gets a pass on its deal for Giphy. But first, misery at the mall. So last Friday night, 118-year-old retailer JCPenney filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. This made it the third major retailer to do so this month, following J. Crew and Neiman Marcus, and came just hours after a report that U.S. retail sales fell more than 16% between April of last year and April of this year, with a big part of that loss coming in apparel. Now, to be sure, all three of these companies were already struggling before the pandemic. Just look at JCPenney. It launched a turnaround plan nearly a decade ago, hiring Ron Johnson the guy who created Apple's retail stores. But Johnson's tenure was a consensus disaster, and he didn't even last two years. Subsequent fixes didn't work either, and the coronavirus pandemic seems to have been the final nail in the company's solvency coffin. The question now, though, is how or if retail can even come back particularly retailers that either rely entirely or in large part on physical stores. Remember, even a lot of the hottest internet-based direct-to-consumer brands have opened brick-and-mortar shops in recent years, with consumers seeming more and more interested in the touch-and-feel experience. But right now, we're all being told, don't touch, don't feel, and it would seem that could put the entire shopping mall at risk, with them all staring at JCPenney as the ghost of Christmas future. In 20 seconds, we will go deeper with Fortune Magazine's Phil Waba. But first, this... BridgeBank knows the ins and outs of business ups and downs and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices and tech hubs across the country, including San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, Chicago, and Boston. Visit BridgeBank.com to learn more. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be safe. Venture wisely. We're joined now by Fortune senior reporter, Phil Waba. So Phil, let's start here with JCPenney. This is obviously a retailer that has been in trouble and struggling for quite some time. Is it as simple as coronavirus is the thing that pushed it over the edge? Well, it might've been the tiny little push that was over the edge, but uh, they've been headed this way for a very long time. They've been up to their eyeballs in debt. Sales have been plummeting for the last few years in a great consumer environment. So blaming it on COVID-19 is easy. You wrote recently a piece on which retail chains were hurting the most. In reporting that out, what surprised you the most? Well, what surprised me the most is there are quite a few mall-based retailers that are doing very well. It's a bit easy when people say, oh, any store that's in a mall is going to hurt. In fact, it really is basically the delineation is, does the company have products that people want and that other retailers don't offer? Does it have good customer service? And does it have a good blend of e-commerce and store business? And on those fronts, JCPenney was not very good. But then you have somebody like Lululemon, who's excellent on all three of those, and they're thriving. Neiman Marcus didn't count with that? I mean, granted, it's obviously on the high luxury end, but Neiman Marcus didn't have that, which is another company that went bankrupt. Yeah, well, Neiman Marcus, we all think of it for its $8,000, $9,000 designer gowns. But the reality of it is that they sold a lot of stuff that middle class and upper middle class people would buy, but that they could also find at Nordstrom and at Bloomingdale's. So in fact, Neiman Marcus was not as special as it used to be. 44 stores, that's a lot of stores to fill with merchandise. You say that even when you look inside the mall, that there are plenty of retailers that are doing okay because you say differentiated product, a good blend of online and physical retail. That said, in the age of COVID, given that a lot of malls have been closed and still are closed, are there a couple of retailers you're looking at as kind of the bellwethers? In other words, the ones that were doing okay pre-COVID, but if they either file for bankruptcy or get close to that, you suddenly say, wait a minute, we don't just have 
struggling retailers like J. Crew and JCPenney going under. We've got a much, much deeper systemic big problem. Well, I would put Nordstrom in there. I mean, Nordstrom has been slightly limping. They've never been in any mortal danger. They also had a fantastic balance sheet. But actually, companies like Nordstrom and Kohl's, who've had their challenges, but great balance sheets, they're not going to have great balance sheets coming out of this. So that actually puts them in danger a bit further down the line. But you know, a company like Nordstrom, which is extremely well-run, which has great e-commerce, which has great tech, if they struggle to win back customers, that could be a sign that this isn't just about pushing the weakest over the edge. Some strong people can fall over too. I wonder with something like a Nordstrom, which had a good blend of e-commerce, but in the physical store, the store itself, stores like that, particularly if you're talking about high-end clothes, this is a basic thing, but a lot of it's about trying the thing on, right? Try on the shirt, try on the dress and see how it fits. Is there any talk yet on how they're going to pull that off in a COVID age where I might not particularly want to put on something that somebody else might have just put on? Well, there's going to be a lot of uh, challenges with that. I mean, basically, the emerging best practice that we're starting to see with stores that have reopened is if you try something and you're still in the store and you don't want to try it on, you don't want to buy it, they have to put it away for 24 to 48 hours. That'll be the same thing with return products. Nordstrom is actually an interesting case. So they just announced that they're going to close 14% of their stores, the big department stores, not the rack ones. Because what they've been trying to do now is focus on bigger markets for them, like Seattle, New York, LA, and have a group of stores, but also they've started opening little stores called local, which are half the size of a 7-Eleven in good neighborhoods. So you can go try things there. You order it online, the item gets shipped to that store. You go there and you try it, you can get it tailored. But now, so what they are going to do is de-emphasize smaller markets and focus on the big ones where they can win big like LA, New York, Chicago, Houston, and maybe even Boston. There was retail sales numbers that came out last Friday showing retail a 16.4% drop in overall retail from this April over last April. And that was obviously an enormous number, the biggest year-to-year drop ever. But from my perspective, as the layman looking at it, I thought, wow, that's actually not nearly as bad as I thought it would be given the number of stores, the number of malls that are literally closed right now. What were your thoughts when you saw that number? Because I thought it was going to be worse. It's mathematics because groceries were up. A lot of essentials were up. Home furnishings were up. This week, we're going to see Home Depot and Lowe's are going to report. Apparently, they did very well. But it's really apparel that fell 90%. And apparel is what fills the malls, you know, the small stores as well as the anchors. And so it really is everybody gravitated towards the essentials like food and things for their home. And things that were non-essential basically collapsed. It's as if for some parts of retail, it might have been flat to a bit up and others like down 80%. It really is. Uh, two entirely different worlds. From a retail perspective, what is the longest lasting kind of behavioral consequence of COVID in terms of retail? Is is it more direct to consumer or what in it in three years, four years from now, do you expect to see in the retail market? You say it's because of what happened in early 2020. Well, I think we're going to end up seeing a lot more. Well, technology is going to have to be a part of it. I mean, it already is part of it. But I think this idea of concierge service, like at Best Buy, who would have thought, right? Like if you go to a Best Buy now, you have to get up an appointment and throughout your whole trip in the store, you're going to have somebody with you. And I think some version of that will stick because I don't think we're going to have a vaccine anytime soon. Shoppers are going to be nervous unless you really, really comfort them. So safety and cleanliness are going to be paramount now. Does that mean increased employment? Take a Best Buy. Anyone who's ever been in a Best Buy and wanted to get help knows it is a hard, hard thing to do and you wait a very long time. Does that mean you're going to see some of these big box retailers actually have to have more staff than they used to? They will have to, but I bet you they won't do it. So I think part of this is that down the line, we're going to see smaller stores and you're going to have a lot more on e-commerce and the store will be to really close the transaction rather than browsing and get full service. So I I think a lot of physical retail will disappear because of this as well. Phil Waba, a senior writer for Fortune Magazine 
and the biggest Def Leppard fan I know. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. My final two right after this. With offices and tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Denver, Chicago, and Boston, BridgeBank supports the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives and helps breakthrough ideas actually break through. And through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, BridgeBank delivers a responsive, high-touch client experience. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be safe, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is increased Democratic Party opposition to the possible merger between Uber and Grubhub. The latest comes from Minnesota Senator and possible Veep Stakes winner Amy Klobuchar, who on Sunday tweeted, quote, if Uber takes over Grubhub, it isn't good for competition and it isn't good for you. When big companies corner the market, it usually means more for them and less for you, especially in a pandemic. That's why I'm challenging the Trump antitrust enforcers to do something about it, end quote. So two things to note here. First, there is not yet a deal to oppose. The two sides remain apart on price, with Grubhub rejecting at least one of Uber's offers. Second, even if a deal does get announced, Klobuchar doesn't really have any way to fight it beyond public pressure. Even if she could convince Republican Senator Mike Lee to hold hearings via the Senate's Judiciary Committee's Antitrust Subcommittee, it couldn't actually block the deal. It needs DOJ or the FTC. That's why she ended her plea for the Trump antitrust enforcers to do something about it. The bottom line, until there is an actual transaction, this is all more about political posturing than policy making. And we will close with one more antitrust note this morning. The total lack of opposition, political opposition, to Facebook's agreement to buy Giphy, the animated image library that the social network values at upwards of $400 million. Now, you certainly could argue there is no reason for antitrust to care about something as seemingly innocuous and silly as Giphy. But that's also what a lot of folks thought when Facebook agreed to buy Instagram. More to the point, big tech companies like Facebook and Amazon and Google are all under current antitrust investigation but seem to basically be telling DC, we're going to keep making deals until you try to stop us. And so far, no one has. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national cheese souffle day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.